When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Millennial Love, a podcast from The Independent on everything to do with love, sexuality, identity and more. This week I spoke to the brilliant writer Paris Lees. We talked about so much in this episode, from the joys of being single, to how Paris found herself experimenting with the idea of celibacy, and why we fetishise authenticity so much in relationships. We also spoke about transphobia in the dating world, and Paris's new book, What It Feels Like for a Girl, and how it felt for her to revisit her childhood. Enjoy the show! Paris, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. I'm, I'm ready for a holiday. It's been quite a year. Yeah, it has been quite a year. I mean, congratulations on the book, first of all. Um, for those who haven't read it or don't follow your work, would you mind explaining what it's about and I guess what made you want to write it? Well, my book, What It Feels Like for a Girl, is a literary memoir. So it is my life growing up in Nottingham, but it's uh, written in a way that reads as a novel. So, uh, you know, you don't have to be into uh, memoirs or, you know, autobiographies per se to to want to pick this up and read it or even know anything about me. Uh, there's a lot of drama. There's a lot of uh, getting into trouble. Um, I was pretty wild as a teenager. I think it's fair to say. Didn't really have a lot of boundaries. Um, ended up in prison, ended up hanging around with a bad crowd, ended up taking a lot of drugs. Um, yeah, there wasn't really much I didn't do. Slept with a lot of dodgy people. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was just really very unhappy. But um, it's, uh, it's, I guess it's about that journey and about growing up uh, poor, LGBT in Nottinghamshire in the in the noughties which mm. which feels like a different planet now from the 2021 perspective I'm just like god what like what what was I there doesn't even feel like it's connected to the world that we're living in now yeah I can imagine I mean so you write about your teenage self using the name Byron and you know as you said Byron experiences bullying beaten up sell sex to older men taking drugs serving eight months in a young offender institute there is so much packed into this book and I can't imagine what it's like to go through all of that let alone to then share it with the world so I guess I want to know how it's felt for you having this book out there now and having people reading this stuff and people presumably getting in touch with you you know have you been suffering at all from what Nell Frizzell calls a vulnerability hangover after having all of this out there? I love that. Uh, first of all, let me just say this doesn't even cover half of it. Not even for the for the. I'm not. I'm not joking. Even for like the the time frame that it's uh, that it covers. Um, that there was a lot of material that that didn't make it in. Um, vulnerability hangover. Yes. Uh, and I I had one of those. The last time I had one of those was was last year because I wrote something about mental health for for British Vogue, 
and um, there is something really powerful about sharing things publicly and I'm definitely somebody who's yeah I mean my career has basically been confessional journalism and I, I think as somebody who grew up who didn't feel heard and, f- and felt actually actively silenced um, it, it's been very important for me to to, to get my voice heard you know as as an adult um but I think also as I've got a bit older and you know been for therapy got a bit more mature I am more selective about what I choose to put out there and I'm I'm a lot more aware of the the cost you know um and I, and I I think I've learned to appreciate something that I didn't necessarily appreciate when I was younger, which is there is a reason why people keep things back. You know, I've always been a very expressive, wear your heart on your sleeve, um, very open and honest person. But it it is weird knowing that that stuff's out there for sure. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I've experienced that on a much more minor scale with with my book, which, you know, I just talk about the weird dating and sexual mishaps of my life and I've been I felt so exposed from that I mean I just can't imagine what it's what it's been like for you it is a weird thing I think you're right being selective about what you choose to share and also I think when we're younger we also feel like oh well anything that's interesting that's happened to us if you're a writer you have to write about it and actually we kind of just write about it without thinking about the consequences to what it would do to us. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think also you learn, yeah, you learn the consequences. I mean, some of the columns that I used to write for Vice were, you know, deliberately provocative and, you know, they encouraged me to go there. And I was quite happy to because at, at that time, uh, you know, I, I, I thought it was funny and it was it was raising my profile and everything. And now I look back on some of those those stories that I shared and I'm like, really? Did you really, really say that and put that out there publicly? But this is also part of the uh, part of the deal of, you know, living your life publicly. I mean, I make mistakes, you know, and it, it's if, if you work in an office, which, you know, I've worked in an office before, you say something stupid. The people who are in that room on that day, they see that and they, they may have a bit of a gossip about it. I do it in something that's on the Internet and it sits there forever you know um so, but you know that's that's the life I've I've chosen but we're all sort of living our lives quite quite publicly these days aren't we yeah I mean I think to a smaller degree whether you're a writer or not if you have social media right that's what everyone's encouraged to do isn't it you're sharing parts of your life and if you didn't share it it didn't even happen it's that kind of mentality so it is a part of it isn't it it's a great time for narcissists and attention oh, yeah. seekers I would say <laughs> And, and I, I say I say that as a recovering a recovering ascendancy. <laughs> um, I loved what you said in an interview that you did with the Guardian to talk about the book, uh, where you were talking about constantly being referred to as a trans activist, and you know people assuming that because you've written a book, it, it's all about being trans. But by that logic, you know, surely every other memoir by a woman or a man, like you said, would then be like a woman book or a man book <laughs> if you've written a so-called trans book. So. I guess I want to know what what you think needs to change and what societal shifts you think need to happen in order for us to get to that place where a trans person does write a book and it really is just a book as opposed to being a trans book. Well, I don't know if we'll ever completely get there because let's be honest, trans people are less than 1% of the population. And clearly the other 99% 
feel something about us one way or another. I, very few people I meet are completely neutral because I think it speaks to something primal. You know, uh, we're designed to look at other human beings and think, are you a man? Are you, are you a woman? Do, do I want to fight you? Do, 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 could we have sex? Are you a danger to me? Um, and and so I, I, I don't think it's ever going to be unremarkable to be trans. I, I will say that. Um, but but it does go back to this, I guess, the bane of my life, which is like you only get seen as a trans person. And I don't mind that because I do talk about it. I'm happy to talk about it. I've written about it. But it's not the only thing. It, it's just not. And, it, and it's so frustrating to me because, like you know, a couple of people have said to me since this book, book came out, um, oh, I forgot. You're funny. I forgot you, you used to be funny in your vice columns and oh you like pop culture don't you and music and stuff and I'm like yeah <laughs> like you, you think that I think people think that I just sit around thinking about trans rights all the time which literally couldn't be further than 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 who I am so it's just it's just inaccurate to me when people describe me as as a trans activist I just think you just literally don't know who I am mm. it's know. about I guess it's about people's own like myopic view of the world and about this kind of societal compulsion to pigeonhole people that they might not necessarily feel like they know enough about. And so it's like, maybe it feels like somehow, I don't know, it gives them a more of a feeling of confidence in their own intellect by thinking, oh, well, this is this person and this is what they do. And so they just put them in that box and just don't even think to look further into that. Well, I, I think it's intentional as well. And I think it goes into this, you know, there is a power in how, how we, we frame things and, and, and the words that we use to dis- describe things. You know, think of the difference between, um, you know, an uh, expat or an immigrant or a refugee. You know, these these words are loaded. And, um, you know, I, I always say if I'm, if I'm an activist, then so is Piers Morgan and Andrew Neil. And anybody else who's ever spoken publicly about the direction that they think the world should go in mm. and what, you know, why why does it make me an activist if I say I don't think trans people should be should be bullied at school? I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, tell, which laws am I campaigning to change? Which mm. which march am I on? OK, I've been to one or two things, but it, that's not really my 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 thing, you know, and it's, mm. it's just interesting that even people who followed my career and. And, and liked me because of, you know, a lot of people still today talk to me about those vice columns, you know, and say, oh, I, I remember that and I've been following you since since then. But then they say, oh, I forgot you're you're not just an, an, an activist. And I just think that's so interesting that people can only see you as, as one thing. And I just find it I find it really reductive and, and limiting. And mm. it, it's so bizarre to me because when I go on holiday, I really don't think about being trans. It's always so weird to me because I always take a social media break and I'll be going about my business. I'm literally not talking about trans, uh, being trans. I'm not thinking about being trans. It, it's really not this big thing that's like in my life. And then I come back, I log online and it's like, I'm, I'm, it's almost like I'm this sort of like lightning rod for other, other people's sort of anxieties around gender and society and, and god knows god knows mm. what else and it's just it's utterly because i don't recognize myself in 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 what i feel some people feel that i represent online 
yeah, at all. I, I think social media is such a breeding ground for that kind of stuff as well, isn't it? Because it is just, it's no what no one no one wants to even think about nuance or anything anything as two as more than two dimensional I think on on social media it's like everything is just a two-dimensional character um which kind of taps into what I wanted to talk to you about next which was you know you you said in that Guardian interview that being a trans person in the public eye is a bit like being a professional victim um so I guess do you do you mean similar to what you were just saying before how people kind of expect you to constantly be talking about trans issues and LGBT issues well, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because, you know, I, I do feel very traumatised by my childhood. You know, I was very unhappy. So it's it's that constant balancing act of how, you know, how do I talk about this stuff without just being a professional victim? And I, I do think that, yeah, you're, you're just expected to sort of regurgitate this. Oh, I've had a terrible life kind of thing. Um for a sort of like cis audience and then to be told oh you're so brave and it's it's really odd to me that you can you can essentially get paid to just go around talking about the fact that you've been abused you know and people go oh tell us your story share your pain with us and you know well done we think you're brave and wonderful without really doing anything to actually change the conditions to me going going through through that and then it's conversely, it's it's so bizarre to me that you've got these people who who become sort of professional transphobes, and their career rests upon essentially believe, believing that there is a problem with people like me. Like a lot of these transphobes that you see popping up in the media, we'd literally never heard of them until they started saying we have an opinion on trans people. We think they're a problem. And then they they start getting commissioned to write for, for for newspapers, and and to go on news discussion shows, and they get book deals, and, and it's so fascinating to me that there's there's people out here who have careers based on talking about their trauma or or, or hate. I mean, what does that say about us more widely? Honestly, I think, <laughs> I mean, all I guess on that note, you just have to think, what is the what is the most read newspaper in the UK? It's the Sun. What is the most read website in the UK? It's the Mail Online. You know, I think that that's probably my answer to that. Unfortunately, it's it that that stuff is toxic and is wrong, and as discriminatory as it all is, there's an audience for it, and that's the bleak reality. I think. Well, there's there's definitely an audience for transphobia. Yeah, sadly. Um, but it's, I'm, I'm just honestly so bored of talking about it. And, um, I, th- I think people become obsessed and I see some of these transphobes online and literally all they do all day long is tweet about and write about and think about people like me. And it's really weird because I think these people are spending a lot more time thinking about the fact that I'm trans than I am. Like, and, and it's really freaks me out because I don't think that's healthy. But then I see a lot of trans people who I think are really traumatized and all they post about is being trans. Like every day, trans this, mm. trans that. And I'm just like, I mean, I I thought the whole point was that we don't, I, and I know that we do still have to think about it because there is discrimination. But one of the things that, one of the, the freedoms that, that I'm fighting for is to be free not to have to think about being trans and just live my life on the same terms as everybody else, you know, 
and and it, I, I don't know I don't know I, th- I think the internet is making people very unwell actually and, and I, I saw somebody uh, the other day talking about how um, these people who've been taken in by misinformation on the on the vaccine um, they are victims of disinformation and I, I'm, I do I do think it, it's, it's a very fine line because you know some of these people are also peddlers of, of disinformation but I certainly think when it comes to the anti-trans lot that a lot of them are very um, quite sad people, you know, who, who, and I, I mean that with, with kindness, like they, they need to get a life and they need to get help, you know, because they are victims of something very ugly and um, not, not good for any of us, for anybody to become that obsessed with, 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 with a group of people who, you know, we're just trying to live our lives. Yeah. Yes, there, there are bad trans people. I can't say that there aren't. But the idea that, you know, we, we are the problem in society is just nuts to me. I mean, mm. were, were gay people the problem? Were, were black people the problem? Were women the problem? Mm. You know, I've been told that I'm a problem my whole life, whilst other people have been causing me problems simply because of who I am. So it's it's just this weird, weird, weird gaslighting. And, and I, I don't... I don't see it ending anytime soon, really. So I don't know what the what the solution is. But I'm just trying to live life on my own terms and um, not let these people br- bring us down. Because I do think ultimately that is the point of transphobia is to is to steal our joy, mm. to steal our energy, and and just prevent us from living our lives fully. So it, that that's my activism is is having a fabulous life. Mm. I think um, social media companies have a big responsibility that they yeah. that they aren't they aren't stepping up to enough because I mean yeah. you know every time I get I get a comment that's being like oh no we're going to keep this in it doesn't go against our yeah. community guidelines yeah. and it's just you see it all the time yeah it's, I get it on Twitter all the time you report things and they say no it's fine yeah and, and the thing that annoys me is that they could stop that if they wanted to I know Twi- Twitter could say it, it's like a school you get some schools where there's you know, a bullying problem and other schools where there's a sensible head teacher and there's there's a culture of respect and things being followed up and you kind of need the people who with, with power who are organizing everything to say, we're not tolerating this, we're not hosting it and we're gonna, you know, use our powers to make sure that this is a safe space for people. Yeah. That that's what's so sickening about it, because they they know that hate clearly it must it must be a net game for them you know because mm. it because it increases engagement isn't it sick you know where where, so where, where where is where where are the morals you know mm. I don't think there are morals there's just money isn't there yeah 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 god <laughs> this so is grim. this is a bit negative I know I'm gonna I switch to I'm gonna say, switch <laughs> I'm feeling I'm feeling a bit I am feeling Sorry. a bit bleak I'm feeling a bit bleak with it with the climate with the climate crisis and everything so oh god I know yeah. it is I know I, it is it's, it's everything feels a bit bleak at the moment but uh yeah Sorry if I, just, if I go there. No, 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 that's okay. I'm going to ask you about one more grim thing and then and then we'll move on okay. to, to less grim things. Because okay. um, so many, there are so many parts of the book that I think are are deeply shocking in, and you know, but you, you write about them so beautifully in a way that I feel like anyone is able to empathize with what you were going through at that moment, particularly because you're obviously writing about it from the point of view of, of a teenager. Um, so I guess for me, the part that I found most shocking was where you describe going into a public toilet at the age of 14 with an older man who was paying you for sex. 
And I know you've spoken about how at that time you didn't recognize that as abuse. So I guess I want to know a little bit about what it was like for you to write about that as an adult and tap back into your teenage self and how that made you feel and how you viewed that situation differently. Well, I mean, I sort of knew it was wrong. I mean, obviously I knew it was wrong, but I guess that word, I thought, I thought, you know, as a child that had like a very specific meaning, like if, if you're much younger and you've sort of been forced, obviously as an adult, I, I know that, you know, abuse comes in lots of different forms and looking at that situation, what else are we going to call it? You know, of course it was wrong for those people to, you know, they should have known better. Um, obviously I thought that I was really grown up I thought that I knew what I was doing Um, I was an idiot uh, frankly Um, and I guess revisiting it it's um, it's 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 very hard to say I do feel ashamed actually weirdly which I hadn't I hadn't necessarily thought that I would putting that out there because I think this 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 book has been a therapeutic exercise for me and I think that thinking of Byron in you know that that period of my life in these sort of stylized terms I mean it all happened but you know it's presented in a certain way sort of gave me the distance to 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 explore and and look back on those those experiences and I think we do this I think we do it culturally and I think we do it as individuals I mean you know people can come back to trauma at, at various you know various intervals some people you know I was speaking to a friend last night she was saying that she knew somebody who who'd had all this trauma that came out in his 80s from the war you know but I think 15-20 years seems to be a common theme of people going back and thinking okay can we face that now what what was that about you know can we make sense of it um and I just feel desperately sad really I just feel very sad you know that that was that was my childhood essentially and I just don't want anybody else to go through that and to feel that they don't have value and to feel so desperate 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 for validation so desperate to find a space in the world where where, yeah where they have value where they're not nothing you know because I grew up feeling like I was nothing like there was something wrong with me that I was a problem so you enter into a context where you have something that other people want, which in, in my case was, you know, being incredibly young, then it makes sense to me why, why you'd be drawn to that. And it's just, it's just so sad, you know, I mean, it makes me sick. I mean, I wouldn't even want to think, but you know, the idea that anybody that I know would, would, you know, it, it's just, it's not what you want for, for anybody, you know, let alone the people you love. So yeah, it's just, and and it's also said that you know there are those men out there, and I don't believe that human nature's drastically changed since two thousand and one. So, and we see it, you see it in the news, don't you? These grooming gangs, and you know, it's 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 very depressing because I I don't want to think that people are like that. I don't want to think that men are like that, and I don't think it's all men actually, but it's it's enough for it to be a problem that we should should be talking about. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. You had a lot of messages from readers saying that particular bits resonate with you or that the same thing happened to them or or anything else because I know that does tend to be a thing now people can people know that they can access you know authors and public figures so they tend to message them on Instagram or Twitter or whatever have you been having some positive messages from that I've had so many positive messages and in a, if anybody's messaged me and I haven't got back to them and they're listening to this then thank you very much and and I'm sorry I just I personally find my it makes it sound like I'm being inundated um it just I just I just get a bit overwhelmed you know there's email whatsapp instagram twitter tech like it's i i can't respond to every message but i do i do sort of stick my head in every now and again and just fish through and particularly if there's if there's people that look vulnerable and need help I might sort of like uh you know signpost them onto you know somebody appropriate that can help them but I generally don't get to respond don't get time to respond to most of the messages but I've had some very sweet ones and you know just across loads of different lines really across class lines and um people who have connections to Nottingham or the north or people who are you know maybe grew up in a very different way but were just unhappy for 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 whatever reason I think a lot of people found growing up very difficult and they may not necessarily have made the choices that I made or or had the experiences that I had but I think a lot a lot of people you know struggled right Mm, yeah massively I mean every time I write a piece of journalism or any article really that's vaguely personal I get messages from people saying oh this happened to me but it but it's difficult when you have written about something traumatizing because then it there is this element of it being almost re-traumatizing for you feeling that person in the depths of whatever it is that you've been through yeah obviously wanting to help them but you know at the end of the day they're a person on the other end of a of a phone they might live in a completely different country so it's a tricky thing to to navigate but I think it's yeah I think it's it's lovely in a way that we can have you can have that interaction with people like that and with your readers like that well it makes you feel less alone doesn't it and I think that's that's one thing because people say to me you know has it been was it cathartic right you know it must have been cathartic and it's like well no it wasn't really it was actually really upsetting at, at times but what is cathartic is is feeling heard and and actually weirdly when I wrote uh, some pieces about relationships that I'd had for, for for British Vogue recently, I think honestly, deep down, I probably still hadn't completely got over um, my last relationship, and you know, was was still in my feelings a bit. But actually, having people read it and say, "Oh, I was in a relationship like that," or 
Um, I've always wanted to be in a relationship like that. And that, and just there's something for me about seeing it, it written down in black and white and having other people say. And I think it does come from that feeling gaslighted when I was growing up. There's something about writing it down that says, it did happen. You can't take it away from me. I own it. It was my experience. And now I can move on from it. So I, I don't I don't know. Maybe maybe that's just like a writer thing. Mm, I think actually gaslighting is so much I know it's an overused term which I also hate I know I'm being like, oh, so so cheesy I keep dropping no, it in no, but, but I it, did but feel gaslighted going yeah up. this is the thing though it's, it, it frustrates me that it has become this overused media term because actually I think gaslighting happens in almost every relationship and it happens so much more than mm. we realize and mm. I think it's so important to talk about it and recognize it and and like you said like validate your own feelings because yeah. so often if you're in a toxic relationship you're made to feel that your experience and your emotion isn't valid and actually something else happened and you're constantly questioning yourself it, and you know it happens yeah. to different degrees but it's you know it's, it's definitely something we want to talk about more um and speaking of dating and your columns you wrote for Vogue I know last year you wrote a brilliant column about the joys of being single and you were kind of talking about the exasperation of dating apps and, and that you had been experimenting with celibacy. I mean, experimenting with celibacy, that's probably the wrong way to put it. But you were going through a period of celibacy. So I want to talk to you about that and ask what that was like and where you're at with that now and, and what you learned from that. Well, also, because I, 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 I don't know if I completely realised this or explored it when I wrote the piece, but it, I, it occurred to me when I split up with my boyfriend, so I, this may be a bit TMI, but let's go there. So I have to take like a little bit, a little bit of testosterone, right? Would you believe it? Like, and the doctors really had to persuade me because like that stuff is like poison to me in my mind. I'm just like, that's, that's what I don't want in my body. But it turns out we all need a little bit to give us energy, right? And, and a libido and build muscle. So, um, I, I have to, I have to take some as well as the estrogen that I take. And I stopped taking it when I split up with my ex because I was heartbroken. And I thought, I, I actually really don't need a libido right now because I don't want to go out and sleep with people. Um, so I stopped taking uh, testosterone. And then because I just stopped taking it for so long, I sort of forgot that it's something that I'm supposed to take. So then I just didn't really have a libido. And then I was like, oh, I'm not really bothered about sex. And um, it's quite nice actually having that power to sort of take away the hunger, right? Like imagine if you could take away, I don't know, your, your need to urinate as frequently or your need to eat. Like it just frees up all of this sort of time. It just makes your life easier. I mean, honestly, would anybody bother with relationships and, and, and trying to find people and go on dates and have sex with people if you didn't actually have that urge to sort of like scratch the edge. I wouldn't and I haven't and it's been great and I've made loads of progress in my career and everything but I have really I've decided I need to get my energy levels back up so I, I'm back on I'm taking a little bit of a uh, little bit of the the, the, the the gloop that they give me and um, I'm 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 getting back there where I'm 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 looking at men again and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I, may, I, may, I, may have, I may have had gentlemen callers in the past few few months, but, but like relationship, I'm just like, I, don't, I just can't be bothered. Mm. And it's got to be good as well because I have been in some like amazing like relationships with like really hot guys and I'm just like, my standards are so high now. I'm just like, you've really got to push my buttons and it, no, one's, no one's doing it for me at the moment. So yeah. when the right one comes along, I... I 
I'll, I, I know that I will, uh, I'll, you know, but, but it's, if you make me feel something, I'll be all in. I'll say, yeah. but I also think I bring a really different energy to a relationship now because I'm older. I'm in a, I'm in a better position in my life, and I think a lot of my insecurities in previous relationships came from uh, feeling like in a place of desperation and not feeling empowered and stuff like. For instance, you know, I went to go and stay with my ex's family at Christmas, which was, you know, anxiety-inducing for like anybody, right? You're going to stay with your boyfriend's family at Christmas. But also, you know, because of my background, like I'm just not used to that sort of like family unit at Christmas and it brought up all of this stuff for me. Also, he didn't tell everybody in his family that I was trans. So his like his mum knew and his sisters, but like the wider family, they didn't know. And I think it this was before my profile was 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 as, you know, as 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 big as it is not like I'm do you think, not like do you I'm think Rihanna in- or anything, but you know. <laughs> do like, you think that was intentional from his point of view or he just he just kind of forgot to do no, it? No, no, it just no, it wasn't it wasn't no, it wasn't like a big secret or anything. It right. was just like no one cared. Like his mum didn't care. It's just like literally it just wasn't and just going back to what we were saying at the top of this, like it's honestly, genuinely not something that I really think about or talk about a lot in my interactions with the people that are close to me, because it's like what is there to say after mm. a certain point you know what, what yes I, I you know for all intents and purposes I just I'm who I am now and I'm just out here living my life so at what point do you have that conversation with your cousin or your auntie so-and-so oh by the way did you know that Paris used to be kind of thing so yeah it wasn't, I completely it, agree it, it wasn't which may like shock some people because because they obviously think it's like a big deal but it isn't a big deal to me and the people in my life it's not a big deal to um because we're not fucking idiots um so like, <laughs> you know what I mean it's like it's it's not but then but then I say that then I built it up into this big thing in my mind because you know I'm sure they're all lovely people and they wouldn't have like cared anyway but in my mind I'm like thinking oh god what are you, I, I, you know, you're meant to be relaxed, like, and I'm going to be around these people, and I, I will feel a bit paranoid because I'm always hyper vigilant, right? Because of growing up, you know, the way the way that society is, it's like you can't not be, you know, even if you you pass as a female. I hate that term, but you know, even if you sort of blend in 99% of the time, you know, there's always that fear of what if somebody looks at me and notices something about me that gives the game away shall we say so I had all of that anxiety and it's and I remember distinctly this is like four four five years ago now and I didn't have money to get pajamas like I didn't have like smart pajamas you know like when you're staying over at somebody's house that you don't know and like I remember just feeling trapped and it was like I couldn't have just if it was all getting too much for me I couldn't have just jumped in my car and gone and checked into a hotel because I didn't have a car still don't have a car um didn't have any money I was literally dependent on him and I think you were just setting yourself up Paris like part of it was your sort of mental health issues but part of it was the fact that you weren't in a good place and you were completely dependent on this guy which just created this huge pressure you know and and I just think I've just been really focused in the past few years of getting myself into a really 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 good place so that the only thing I'm I'm wanting from the relationship is sex and love and, you know, uh, having good times together. But actually, I am whole and complete in myself with or without that. So it's it's a bonus, not not some sort of like mm. I'm intertwined with you or I'm dependent on you in in, a, in an unhealthy way. 
What do you make of the modern dating scene more generally? I mean, are you kind of opposed to the apps or are you for them or would you rather meet someone kind of spontaneously in real life? What's your kind of preference in terms of that? Well, I don't want to sound like a Luddite and say like, oh, I think the apps are terrible. But I I do think that they encourage people to behave really shittily, you know, and I put my hands up, like myself included, because people are just so, um, what's the word, like, 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 just discardable, you know, like you think, oh, no, I don't like it. I don't, that, I, w- I could never see it with a guy who wears a hat like that. See you later. Like, and, and I just, I think it's kind of doing us all a bit of a disservice because, you know, I've said this before in interviews, but one of my boyfriends I met at a party and honestly, it, like he was like, when I told him that I was trans, he was like, oh, I can't sleep with you. And I was like, well, I've just met you. So like, don't worry about it, mate. But like, if he'd have met me on a nap, I don't think he'd have smiled. I think if I'd have just told him, I think his automatic reaction would have been, oh, that's no good for me. And he would have, he would have not swiped, right? Um, so yeah, I th- I think they just encourage you to see people in a very superficial way you know I, I I one of my boyfriends was about an inch shorter than me back in the day um and I don't necessarily think I would have I mean I don't swipe on people that that are shorter than me now mm. so it, yeah it's not great but then also I don't know I don't know it's just it's just difficult isn't it I think you know back in the day I always used to have like loads of guys numbers in my phone like and I th- I thought I was really cool right I, I was like I'm a player nobody's gonna run games on me because I'm two steps ahead can't cheat on me if I'm cheating on you now I just look back on it and I'm just like oh Paris Paris what what oh god it's just it's literally cringe and it's all from insecurity and and I remember like my my girlfriends would say to me like where do you meet all these guys? You know, because I'd always got a guy to pick me up and a guy to, you know, guy to go on a date, a guy to come around for a sort of booty call. Um, and now everybody, like every woman's a player, like everyone, everyone's got like hundreds of numbers in their phone. And I've gone the opposite way just because I don't know why I'm like that, but I am, I just don't like being the same as everybody else. And I'm just saying, oh, it's just really boring now, isn't it? I want something real. Yeah, I know something. It sounds like you know we we fetishize authenticity so much in the dating world. I think particularly because dating apps, like you said, do make it so superficial. But even though it might be a cliche to say, like we just want something genuine and authentic. <laughs> like I just want to, you know, you want to meet someone in a bar and have a fun little flirty chat, and then you have this amazing evening together, and you know that kind of rom-com dream as cringe and cliche as it is I think so many of us still really really crave that particularly now because so many of us have reached a point where we're like oh dating apps everyone is just the same or no one is who they say they are or people treat people terribly like you said it's just we've reached that point where now it's like oh I just want that kind of rom-com experience more than ever Mm. (laughs) I I will say though I will and I don't I don't want to make I don't want to make my son like make myself sound like a trash bag but you know there are times like sometimes you just want to order a pizza right and sometimes you just want to order a guy right and I'm not talking about paying for by the way I'm just talking you know if you're in a certain mood and you don't have time for all of that and it's like 
it is kind of amazing that you can just go on an app and be like, hello, Jim. Fancy coming over for a lemon drop? Yeah, I know what you mean. Also, I think there's something quite empowering being able to do that. Yeah, I don't, I don't do it all the time, but I, do, it, but it does, it does make you feel like a bit of a, a boss kind yeah. of thing. Like, <laughs> I, I just, so I just pressed a button and the man turned up at my house. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't do it a lot, but yeah, it is, it is, it, it does make things a lot easier because I just think all, all the nights out, you know, because let's face it, some people do go out to pool. We've all been there, and I just think, God, the amount of effort that I used to go in and. And it's like, no, you just literally just press a button if you. Yeah, there are swings and roundabouts as well, I suppose, aren't there? Because then if you do go out to pool and think, oh, I am going to meet someone at a bar and then you don't, which inevitably you don't, you can feel so deflated and so despondent and you think that the whole night is ruined and you, it stops you from having a really good time with your friends, which is also such a shame. We used to call it a waste of makeup. (laughs) I I shaved my legs for this yeah exactly so it's 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 definitely it's definitely an efficiency game (laughs) um right it's time for our lessons in love segment so this is the part of the show where I ask every guest to share something that they've learned about love from their previous relationship experiences so what would be your lesson in love for us today Paris my lesson in love for today is be I mean it's kind of a wider life lesson but particularly in relationships just be less focused on what the other person's doing and and what you're doing. And it goes back to what we were just talking about because I, it's genuinely so, I feel so ashamed saying this, but I I did, and it comes from insecurity. I genuinely thought that if, if I was out there cheating on people, I couldn't be cheated on. Isn't that, is that, is, does that just sound so immature? It's ridiculous. No, it doesn't. I think, so, I think so many people do that, particularly women, because they're like, men are trash, which is also yeah. a problematic phrase. But I think it is this fear that yeah. you are just going to be messed around. Well, I, I think this is why I want to share it because it's all. I know that if I was there at one point, there must be other people who are, who are at that point now, you know, and. Um, it's just horrible because, you know, I, I left one of my relationships and um, the guy had cheated on me. And I didn't, I didn't leave that thinking, wish I'd cheated on him. Although, honestly, I had some pretty good offers while, while I was in that relationship. Um, but, but, I, but no, actually, I thought, you know what, that's fine because I can't control what you do. I don't have any control over that whatsoever. I'm in control of me and I didn't cheat on you. And I'm proud of that. So you've got to deal with, you have to deal with what you did and I'm going to deal with what I did, you know. So I guess it's just a wider life lesson because I think I've been, you know, pretty codependent over the years. And uh, I, I think I've come out of that now, which is you, you, can't, you can't control what the other person's doing. I guess to a certain point, you kind of just have to take someone at their word. Like if you're constantly second guessing them, you kind of just have to take what they give you and accept that that's true rather than obsess over whether or not someone is lying to you all the time. Yeah. And when I say don't worry about what they're doing, I'm not talking about turning a blind eye to, you know, bad, bad, bad behavior. I sound like a teacher when I say that. Bad behavior. Um, <laughs> you know, and, 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 I, and I, I, I don't put up with crap in relationships as well and it really frustrates me when I see my friends who you know are essentially you know allowing 
allowing people to sort of take the take the mickey out of them I, I find that really upsetting so I like, don't don't put up with this um but yeah unless I don't know you just you just can't control other people I guess that's my that's my life lesson which seems pretty obvious when you know it but it wasn't obvious to me 10 years ago that's it for today thank you so much for listening if you're a new listener to this show you can subscribe to us on apple podcasts spotify acast or anywhere else You can comment and leave us a rating too so that more people can find us. Keep up with everything to do with the show on Instagram. Just search Millennial Love. See you soon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.